Just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Do you ever drive past giant abandoned buildings in the city's east side and think, why isn't this housing? We are in a housing crisis, and this former police building or empty mansion is just sitting there. A few months ago, we took SLC planning director Nick Norris on a tour of some of my favorite abandoned buildings, and we got answers. What's more, we now have exciting news about one of them. See if you can guess which one, and I'll tell you about it at the end of the show. It's Wednesday, July 19th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Nick Norris, Salt Lake City Planning Director, welcome to my car. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> this is not the cash cab. This not is the, the uh, housing Honda. This is the <laughs> Super ADU. We are going on a tour day abandoned situations on Salt Lake's east side because something that happens in my brain a lot when I'm driving around this city is I look at something and I think, why isn't this housing? Does it happen to you? Every time I go anywhere in the city, yeah. I have that <laughs> that thought. Why is this this or why isn't it that? Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page. This should be fun. And so, yeah, we're going to take a little road trip. Producer Ivana Martinez is at the wheel here. Oh, I got us snacks. I got us the ultimate road trip snack, Dots Homestyle Pretzels. All right. Do you like Dots? I do. Oh, they're the best. Okay. We can have some in between our stops. We are at our first stop, which is the public safety, old public safety building on 3rd East and 2nd South. It is a haggard looking building. Yep. But it's enormous, and this is prime real estate. Nick Norris, why isn't this housing? So we call this the Northwest Pipeline Building. That's what it was built as. Okay. It's the, it, it is actually a nationally designated historic building. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's not a local landmark, but it's a national. And that means that it's eligible for various uh, tax credits to preserve it and things like that. So going back four or five years, the city did have a worked with a development partner have an approved project here that would have built two new buildings and renovated the pipeline building um, and converted it to housing. Um, mm -hmm. For various reasons, that project wasn't fully realized. The Magnolia was one of those buildings and it was the only one that was built. You know, permanent supportive housing is necessary to transition people who are experiencing homelessness um, into housing. Technically, that project is still approved. We could have somebody develop it, right? following that. More than likely, that's not going to happen. Um, but we do plan as a city to go out through a process to get a new developer on board to develop the surface parking lots and mm -hmm. uh, reuse that building. When you're building affordable housing, so much of it is dependent on the lending sources. Um, and those are limited for affordable housing. So when those things fall through and there's a gap in financing or um, you know, you miss a, an application window to receive those 
particularly the federal dollars, then it really impacts your project and oftentimes makes it not happen. So what you're saying is this building is kind of in purgatory? No, it, I, no I wouldn't say it's in purgatory. I okay. mean, it, you know, hopefully when we go out um, through this process sometime this year, um, we'll be able to identify someone who can find a way to make it economical to reuse the building. Hmm. We'd love it to be housing. Yeah. With some ground floor commercial space. Okay. So it can't be felled because it's historic. I have no idea. So it it, technically it's not protected from demolition because it's just a national register. Hmm. Um, So all that does is it it makes the property eligible to use tax credits. So potentially somebody could come in and demolish it. I'd pretty sure that the city does not want to see it demolished. Mm -hmm. We'd much rather, it's way more sustainable to reuse a building than demolish a building that size. So ideally reused as housing above, maybe businesses or offices below. Correct. If this is a city-owned building, then why can't the city just develop it themselves? Well, so the city could act as the developer, and that's what a lot of times our RDA will function that way, right? They'll sign a contract with somebody to build something, but normally cities aren't um, set up, they don't have the personnel or the programs in place to actually be developer. You know, that that's ultimately why the city isn't, isn't building it themselves. Okay. Let's head to our next location, which I'm calling Abandoned Mansion on 1st South and 6th East. I used to work on 6th East, and so I would walk, bike, or drive by this location almost every day and have this thought Mm -hmm. we have just pulled up to what i call the abandoned mansion it looks like probably it was a historic building it's on sixth east and first south nick why isn't this housing this house um one it is historic it's located in the central city historic district um, and it's a contributing structure. There was an approved project to convert it to like a funeral home. Oh. And it, there was an approved project to convert it to assisted living. Okay. So it would be some form of housing that was approved, I think, in 2017 or 2018. Obviously, they started doing the work. And for whatever reason, the project just stalled. Yeah, it's boarded up. Um, so now it's in this state of being boarded. And... Um, when we have boarded buildings, we inspect them every month to make sure they're still secured. It's really important for us for historic buildings, especially of this stature, to remain protected when things like this happen um, so that we aren't losing it to natural causes, the weather, um, you know, water is really detrimental to these old buildings, especially with these stone foundations and things like this. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where the status of this is. They had a building permit. They were doing work. A building permit is considered valid as long as you're moving forward on it. If it sits dormant for 180 days, that building permit becomes closed and void. And mm-hmm. so that's the status of this right now. That so their permit is currently, it's still it's, active? No, it's void because it's they've void. been more than 180 days without any activity. And so they would have to reactivate that permit to come in. Um, in the meantime, the, the, the property owner is responsible for making sure that it stays boarded and secured. So that's why we have the construction fencing around it. So we're, we're actually in the process right now of um, recalibrating our the cost of boarded buildings. So right now they pay a fee every month that it's boarded. 
Wait, um, really? Yeah, because the city has to come out and inspect it, and they're oh. so we don't um, we we feel the property owner who's not putting their property to use should be on the hook and responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they're not. This is a sad story because this is prime housing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. We are right downtown. We're close to services. There is a bus stop in front of this grandiose historic home. It's clearly got this like back drive up entrance. Like it almost looks like a hotel entrance at the back. It's beautiful. It could be a shelter. It could be apartments. It could be so many things. And it's a big lot and it's just sitting here. Yeah. It's sad and ugly. So it's also in a zoning district that makes it really hard to convert things to housing because of there's minimum lot size requirements in these multifamily zones that sometimes limit how many housing units could go in and make it so converting it to housing would not be feasible. Um, so those are one of the things that where zoning really gets in the way of why isn't this housing? Um, I mean, this is, I'm surprised this is the first time we've said the word zoning in this, in this road trip so far, but it means we have to take a shot. So yeah. All right. <laughs> so in summary, this is privately owned. It's also historic. Zoning makes it difficult to convert it to housing for a lot of reasons. The train was a roll-in, and then for whatever reason, potentially financial, potentially the cost of building supplies, we're hearing a lot about that with like supply shortages yep. right now. It is currently boarded up. The process is stalled, and they lost their permit because they were boarded up for more than 180 days. So this is a purgatory situation. It, it is, until someone comes in with a different proposal or to salvage the original approval. Okay. Um, it will probably sit until that happens. All right. Stop number three is the Liberty Wells Center on 7th South and 4th East. Should we play some tunes? Oh, I can play a song. Any requests, Nick? What should we uh, listen no to, No requests. We can give you three genres and you pick one. Ready? Okay. One, Lilith Fair. Two, Mexican Block Party. Three, Italian Disco. I think I'd go with two. Mexican block party? Yeah. Yeah! (laughs) Here we go! Nick, you're gonna get back to work and be like, I just had the weirdest lunch break. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College. 
and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you wanna learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. Okay. This is our final stop. We are at the Liberty Wells Center on 7th South and 4th East. This is a half a block, another massive piece of land right near downtown. What is the deal with this thing? It doesn't look open. It definitely is not open. So this is owned by the LDS Church. And there's been numerous people who have inquired about developing this for housing. Yeah. Including at one point the city. Um Several years ago, the city looked at acquiring the property and converting it to housing. Mm. We have heard rumors that it will be. No one's officially approached us about it. Um, but from what we've heard is their concept is to, so on the south side of this building, there's a big grass field, an old yeah. sports field. Um, that would be, they'd build townhomes, so for ownership kinds of townhomes. And then this building would be retained, but it would be um, converted to apartments. So this is another situation where the zoning probably gets in the way um, mm -hmm. because they're limited in density. Um, and so they may not be able to do that. So I would envision that whoever comes forward with some development proposal, if they're able to acquire the property, will go through some kind of a zoning change in order to accommodate that kind of development. Mm-hmm. I mean, this would make, it just seems from the off, outside that this would also be a great shelter like or a community center or i mean or i yeah. guess that's what it was but. right yeah i mean it's it's built for that kind of occupancy right mm -hmm. and so it's always when something's already built that way it's really easy to convert it to a similar type of assembly use right yeah. like those and so that certainly could be something that would be potentially out there um, if somebody were to figure out how to find the money to do it. What's funny to me about this building sitting here like this is that it's church owned because the church is not opposed to development. Like they're some of the biggest, I would say, don't, don't quote, fine quote me on this. Some of the most enthusiastic and maybe most like interesting developers in the city, like personally as a fan of City Creek, I would say, um, it just seems weird like, I can't imagine they're opposed to doing anything with it. They have big ideas. So they view real estate differently based on if it's an ecclesiastical part of the LDS church versus the, the more for-profit right, development. Yeah. So uh, I think that they view it a little differently because this was technically part of their ecclesiastical ah. land um, as one of the rec centers for their stake or something like that. But um, that's kind of what this property was. So I think that they are, you know, I don't want to speak for them, but, but right. it seems like they are less eager to let property go unless they know what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so I think they're, they're more picky about who they 
sell land to when it's when it was used for right this is a spiritual entity sort of right you know yeah yeah, i get it they're guarded okay so in summary church-owned property has meaningful significance to the owner therefore they might not be as willing to let it go and get felled or completely redesigned in a way that they don't necessarily agree with there were plans to put townhomes here to use this space but they've been stalled for reasons somewhat unknown. well i don't know that there's been plans there's been concepts that people have wanted to and Mm. they've probably approached the landowner about purchasing it and it just hasn't for whatever reason those transactions haven't happened so church owned people are knocking on the church's door they want to develop this space but the church is reticent for one reason or another so all good road trips i think end with a little vespers the next time i'm standing in front of a building and i'm asking myself this why isn't this housing question what are the key other questions i should be asking what am i looking for so I think the the first thing is, does the property owner want to actually redevelop it, hmm. right? That's going to be the number one reason. Most property owners don't want to redevelop. Why and, is that? Yeah, a lot of it, they may not have the fiscal ability to. Hmm. They may not know who to even talk to or who to approach about it. Um, they may be content with what it is. Hmm. Um, so th- there's lots of reasons why, but most property owners don't want to redevelop their property. Hmm. Next is I would ask, you know, what are the barriers to redeveloping it? I mean, there's the financing, right? Money is always going to be a barrier, but zoning oftentimes gets in the way of um, redeveloping properties, especially small properties. And the reason why is because there's certain regulations like minimum lot widths, minimum lot sizes for certain types of uses um, that really start to prevent smaller scale development from happening. That's why we see so many big developments because they'll come in, someone will come in and they'll buy three or four properties, merge them all together and build so that they can make it economical under what the zoning allows. Right, super property. Yeah, and so, you know, those are all things when you start stacking up money, resources, you have to have someone to actually do the work, um, what the regulatory framework is. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things, when they when they stack up, make it hard to develop property. Yeah. Well, on that note, if you could snap your fingers, make one big policy change in Salt Lake City, what would that be in order to increase access to affordable housing well, or from, the availability of affordable yeah, housing? From a policy standpoint, I think the work that we're doing related to incentivizing affordable housing is really important. And because we're limited in Utah and what we can do to... Um, create affordable housing. So cities in Utah, we can't impose rent control. We can't require affordable housing and new development. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really limited in the tools that other cities have used. Right. And so we have to find ways that use incentives where the developer or property owner agrees to include affordable housing in exchange for usually more development right. And so that's what we're working on right now. And it's been highly controversial because we feel like it should apply citywide, not just to certain areas. There's a lot of um, concern about the impacts that may have on um, lower density neighborhoods, historic neighborhoods and things like that. And so I think that the benefit of those incentives is that it makes the dollars, the tax dollars that are invested in affordable housing go further by either creating more affordable units or creating more deeply affordable 
units mm -hmm. because we can have more market rate units offset those costs. Right. So from a policy standpoint, that's really kind of a key thing that has to happen. If that doesn't happen, then the city's going to have really no choice but to do things like remove density restrictions, which maybe the city should consider doing that anyway. We're going to have to go to those, those more um, drastic steps. Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City Planning Director Nick Norris, this has been very educational. Thank Good. you. Of course. Let's get you fun. back to work. All right. <laughs> Here is an exciting update for you since we first aired this episode. One of the buildings we visited with Nick, the former LDS Rec Center at 7th South and 4th East, it's being turned into housing. It's happening. Ivory Construction is going to rework the property in agreement with the church. According to Building Salt Lake, the Recreation Center itself will become 30 units of one and two bedroom apartments, and then another 36 brand new townhomes will go up next door. I'm not gonna take credit for willing this into existence. It was a group effort. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.